Hello, and welcome back to Old Sport Podcast. Not much happening in the sporting world, so here's 45 minutes of soft jazz to entertain you instead. Oh no, it appears there actually is quite a lot going on, both on and off the field in a variety of codes. And as such, we're here to sail this raft through some, well, pretty difficult waters this week. I'm Hamish Stewart, and joining me as always is Hugo Carson and Ben Rosen. Hugo, you've headed north to escape the joy of that grand final week in Melbourne. How's the weather and how are the vibes in Queensland? <laughs> Great vibes up here. Uh, lovely weather and uh, nice to watch the Brownlow on 7, mate, rather than Channel 7, surprisingly. You get all the, um, the fishing ads and stuff like that, which is, which is always entertaining. That's what you want from your Brownlow medal, fishing. It's a massive bugbear of mine that you can't stream the Brownlow. Um, You actually have to have an aerial TV or a smart TV to be able to watch it. Um, Same with the grand final. Same with the grand final. Yeah. Well, I think they've added a few different sources to to stream it. But basically, when they did the original rights deal, um, you can't stream on your phone or anything. And Seven have exclusive rights to the Brownlow and the grand final, so you can't get them through KO. Um, but yeah, minutiae of AFL media rights deals. <laughs> That's what the people listen in for. <laughs> give them what they want, boys. Oh, all right, Ben, do you want to give them what they also want, which is a wrap of the week's results? Yeah, little bit happened in footy. Um, we'll start off with the prelims and Friday night, the Cats absolutely destroyed the Lions by 71 points. I had the displeasure of being there and I stayed about as long as I stayed in the O10 replay, which was two and a half quarters, but it was, it wasn't much viewing for a neutral, but my gosh, the cats looked seriously good. And it was good to see danger have such a good game in a final as well. Um, but that was more than made up for the following afternoon in what was one of the great finals of all time. Swans 14, 11, 95, just crept over the line against the pies, 14, 10, 94. I thought it's quite interesting that the, uh, the Swans really, sorry, the pies really made their money all year, winning close games, uh, standing up right when it counted. But when it really came down to it, pointy end of the season, they lost two finals by under a kick. So you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And I think a few people, including you boys, had said that I don't think it's a repeatable formula. And it turned out to be as such. We also had round four action in the AFLWs. I'll go through those results. Those results: Kangaroos by twelve over the Cats, Eagles by seven over the Giants, Suns upset the Saints by fourteen. Power absolutely smashed Sydney by sixty-six points. There was a draw between Freo and back. Carlton. Back-to-back draws, insane. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bulldogs comfortably by thirty points over the Hawks. And then on the Sunday fixtures, we had the Crows just get over the line against the Pies by five points, Richmond by the two points against poor old Essendon, and Lions won by 15 over the Ds. A few more sports to get through for me. Cam Smith won the LIV golf event in Chicago, which everyone is in raptures about, Hamish included. Max Homer won the PGA Tour event in Napa. It was actually a pretty crazy hole. I only watched the last hole of this. Um, but he chipped in to sort of make it halfway entertaining. And then um, Danny Willett still had a two and a half foot putt to win outright, missed the two and a half footer, then had another two and a half footer coming back to make a playoff, missed that. So as we were standing with Danny Willett in at two feet and Max Homer off the green, you would have got some serious money on Homer winning 
outright, not even going to a playoff. Amazing. And in absolutely monumental news for the entire world of sport, Roger Federer announced his retirement pending one final swan song at the Labor Cup this week. We'll have more to say about the great man later on in the show, but undoubtedly worth mentioning right off the top. Hugo, over to you. Yeah, shame about Roger, but we'll move over to the US with some big results in week two of the NFL. We had the Chiefs beat the Rams. That was Thursday night football. Uh, Patrick Mahomes really struggled all game, but they still managed to get the win. Uh, that means the Rams, who were Super Bowl champions last year, start their season 0-2. There were a few huge comebacks in the last week as well, including the Dolphins over the Ravens and the Cardinals over the Raiders. They both came back from 20 points plus. Um, that was in one week of NFL, and that didn't happen at all last year. So some pretty big results there. Other notable results include Tom Brady and the Buccaneers beating the Saints. There was a bit of biffo in the NFL, which is pretty uncommon to see, but a lot of the, the Buccaneers boys defending Tom Brady, as you'd expect. Um, Green Bay also beat the Bears. Uh, and on Monday Night Football, we had a doubleheader in which the Bills smashed the Titans and the Eagles beat the Vikings. In the MLB, the season continues. Uh, still a few weeks left. However, some teams' fates have already been decided as teams begin to be ruled out of playoff contention. This includes the LA Angels, who we touched on a few months ago. They started their season in dazzling form. Basically, I think they were one, 10 and 1, 10 wins, 1 loss, and then just fell off the wayside and have continued to struggle all season. They have a player named Shohei Otani, who some think will be the greatest baseball player of all time. They also have Mike Trout, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And they just have not been able to get things together and have now been knocked out of playoff contention in unbelievable fashion. Hamish, what about the soccer results? Yeah, there weren't that many to speak of over the weekend, but I'll run us through a couple of leagues. So in the Premier League, Tottenham absolutely thumped Leicester 6-2. Leicester and still yet to, to win a game this season. And it's their defence that's letting them down. Um, it's Probably not even a championship defence. It's probably a, a League One defence. They're really struggling. Erling Haaland scored again for Manchester City in a comfortable 3-0 victory over Wolves. And they now enter the international break for the Premier League. So an, a bunch of games postponed due to the Queen's passing now won't be played again for some time. And if you're uh, a Liverpool fan or a Chelsea fan um, or a Manchester United fan, you won't have seen your team play for a while. Over in Germany in the Bundesliga, Union Berlin are still top of the table through seven games, which is uh, a really unique start to a German season. Um, ben Steering is obviously a huge Union fan. Um, Bayern Munich are in fifth at the moment. They're only five points off the top of the table, but it's nice to see it's at least competitive a few games into the season, unlike we're seeing in a couple of the other leagues. Uh, one of those is in Spain where Real Madrid beat Atletico 2-1, and they are now the only team with a perfect record left in Europe's top five leagues. In the cricket world, Australia beat India by four wickets in the first of the men's T20s over there. Um, they chased down 208 and there were some superb uh, individual batting performances, particularly by Matt Wade, Cam Green, uh, and dare I say it, Tim David as well. India and England women are locked one all in their ODI series. And in the one we've all been waiting to hear about, the Legends Road Safety World Series. Australia are currently one win and one loss, sitting sixth on the table out of the, the eight teams there. They got their first ever win against Bangladesh. Very exciting for them. A bit more to come on this one later, so stay tuned and I'll explain exactly what the, the Legends Road Safety World Series is all about. Cannot um, wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the... 
the one result that we we always hold to last because we save the best to last is of course the NRL. Um, in the Eels thumped the Raiders forty to four. The Rabbitohs comfortably beat the Sharks as well, which sets up um, some pretty exciting preliminary finals in rugby league. And finally, in the rugby union, this happened a while ago, but we didn't cover it on the last show because it happened right afterwards. Um, Australia lost to. New Zealand in the first of their Letters Low Cup games uh, after one of the more remarkable umpiring decisions in which um, <laughs> Australia was called for time wasting, which just doesn't happen in Union, hadn't been called for, for several years and there's been a whole lot of backlash because of that. Anyway, game two is coming up on this weekend, so stay tuned for that one. But I think it's probably time to get into our, our main story. Where do you want to start, Hugo? Yeah, so we'll start with the AFL and um, there's been some pretty damning stories recently um, coming out of the Hawthorne Football Club. Hamish, do you want to just run us through the facts as they, they stand right now? Yeah, thanks for handballing me that one, Hugo, after oh, I handballed it straight that. to you. <laughs> um, right, so... Um, again if you want. We can... No, no, that's okay. So uh, Russell Jackson and the ABC reported... Uh, first yesterday um, the, about a, a process that's been going on at Hawthorne in which there's been an external review into the club's uh, treatment of its First Nations players in the past decade or so. And that was started after um, Cyril Rioli um, came out and told his story several months ago and discussed why his career ended very prematurely in the, the racism um, that he suffered whilst at the club. So they implemented this external review, which... Um, kudos to them. You never know what you're going to unearth when you do an external review as opposed to an internal one. Um, but the findings have just been sickening, shocking, harrowing. There's no real adjective you can use. It's going to sum it up. Um, just some um, really uh, hard to believe treatment of young First Nations players at the clubs and centres around key members of the Hawthorne Football Club, um, both Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan were named in the article as having been a part of the racism, which um, included separating First Nations players from their partners, removing SIM cards from their phones, um, kind of pulling up in convoys of cars and separating people. Uh, and then the most shocking tale was um, of a terminated birth that the club forced upon a, a player's partner for that player's career. Um, obviously, the the process now is very much a live one. And my take is that the AFL were trying to keep this quiet until after the grand final, um, until the, the spotlight can be turned separately away. Yeah, um, so they've had the report for, for two about weeks. A, yeah, for a while yeah. now. Uh, the yeah. report still hasn't been made public. So all these came from the article that you referenced off the top. No one, like, we still don't actually know the extent of the the allegations in that report. We only know because I, I think the ABC journalist spoke to three of the players yeah. and there's about and 20, there were, there's about 20 exactly. interviewed in the in the report. So, sorry, go on. No, no, you're exactly right. So, firstly, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Secondly, Chris Fagan and Alistair Clarkson haven't been interviewed as part of the report yet. So, the FL's immediately gone, well, this probably isn't something for our integrity unit that's capable of handling. So, they've dished off and there's going to be the King's Council basically looking into it, the AFL equivalent of a Royal Commission um, that will begin with Hawthorne, but I suspect will end up branching out to a whole number, if not all the clubs. Um, and th that will involve a process of interviewing Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan, who have both denied, categorically denied any allegations of misconduct or wrongdoing. But the 
allegations are so um, detailed and so harrowing that even if they are like 10% true, it's hard to see there's any future for either of them in the game. Um, Especially considering they've been denied in their entirety. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah there's, exactly. there's no wriggle room there if it's found that, as you said, even 10% of this is true. Um, it's just, it's, it's shocking. It's, I think it's the, there's been some pretty dark moments in the last 10 years when it comes to AFL's relationship with its first nations players and community. But I think this is probably the darkest amongst them. And, um, Eddie Betts last night on Fox footy was basically said, look, I think all the clubs just, this is probably the time you need to do your own external review and have a look at how your past players are treated. Cause, um, although Hawthorne does have a history of these things, so do a number of other clubs and I'm sure it wasn't limited to them. So, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just pretty sad. I think is the overwhelming feeling I have anyway. I'm not sure about you two, it's, but it's just like the hurt that's been done to these people, regardless of whether their truth is how it will be interpreted by um, the QCs and others doing the, the investigation, that damage that's done to them are never going to be undone. So yeah. Um, yeah. And that's conveyed in the, in the article, which is yeah. certainly worth reading through um, because obviously that's the, epicenter of this story and the effect that it has on on the the players that were actually involved and, and caught up in the center of it and then everything else is is obviously peripheral uh which is and everything else will now be the subject of this external review that the afl is conducting but i agree with you i think sadness um is is the overwhelming response yeah absolutely well spoken boys I, not more to add there it just kind of, I don't know. I just think in general, like, I know there's so much money in footy and stuff, but like uh, Jared Whiteley was talking about it. Well, I think this was on Fox footy as well. Kind of like, like, what are we doing to these young men and young women now in the AFLW in the name of trying to win a trophy games? Yeah. Like it says the same thing about the Adelaide camp, you know, like why are we going to these links for sport, you know, for a game that these people come into these, um clubs you know that claim to be a family claim to be a supportive community and then this is how people get treated it's just um i don't know it's so I, no one can possibly justify it in any way shape or form let alone wrap your head around how they thought this was in any way appropriate but we'll see what the investigation takes and it's, yeah very hard to analyze on the run i think yeah it's very hard to think about other football going on right now i kind of forgot that there was the grand final going on this week it feels like that doesn't it yeah. i mean yeah. you you watch as we all do the you know the snippets of footy talk shows and talk back radio it doesn't feel like a grand final week um but that anyway it is a grand final week so we, we got, <laughs> we'll roll on with the show hugo yeah we'll we'll look back a little bit to before all this news came out um to sunday night actually not monday night the brownlow medal um, it was a great night for Carlton fans and for Patrick. <laughs> and for a certain and, member of the podcast. Yeah, I know. A certain <laughs> bubble-headed member of the podcast. <laughs> well done to Ben Rosen, who predicted this months ago at the start of the season. Um, I thought we were on for a, a double win there. I thought Lockie Neal and Paddy Cripps would tie there for a second. Who did I go? You said Steele. So he was the leading vote getter for the Saints, considering his injuries. I reckon you weren't far off as well. Um, if he played the whole season, very generous. Loki <laughs> for next year, just quietly. Um, 
but yeah, it was a great night. I think they did it really well, as always. Um, it does drag on a bit, though. I mean, it just seems ridiculous, some of these things that they, they do. And then it seemed like they cut from the wrong things. Like, so the um, Jim Stein medal, every year they do stories about each player nominated, what they do in their community, and then you find out the winner and it's even better. And this year they didn't even do that. So they've obviously decided they need to cut time from something. They cut time from that when they've got. Wouldn't want to. want to cut from Nathan Brown's live odds of what's oh, going on at the thing, would you? It's no. good to be able to bet. Uh, I think round by round. That's. I think that's what's really important <laughs> is that you've got that option to bet who's going to win the next round. Not not if just you the, want the thing its entirety, I, but if you want a dollar seventeen at Paddy Cripps with a round to go, you can have that. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's great. It is good. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Hugo. <laughs> no, nothing. I think that was going to be the next discussion point anyway, is the incessant gambling ads. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they could have cut the 10-minute intro of all the local footy coaches talking about their players, <laughs> which was entertaining for the first minute. Um, and, you know, nice story, but honestly. But did you see the best part of that? Jai Simpkins' dad introduced himself as Paddy Cripps' under-12 coach, even though Jai Simpkins was in the room. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> That's funny. Did not know that. Oh. <laughs> um, what did you guys think of the night as a whole? Were you, did you think Paddy Cripps would get up halfway through the night? It looked like Lockie Neal was going to run away with it. Yeah, it was a great count. I only actually watched the second half of it. Um I sort of I find the concept of watching it a little bit weird <laughs> yeah. because you're sort of watching a bunch of like AFL board players, sorry, players and board execs get drunk and like it shouldn't be <laughs> as entertaining as it is really. I like, I, by the end of the night, I was like, yeah, that was good. I'm, I'm glad I watched that, but it is a weird concept. I think a, a televised dinner basically. Yeah. Um, they- Sorry, go on. I, I love the little video compilations. I reckon they do such a good job of like the round by round and like oh, the yeah. little highlights and stuff. That's the highlight for me. You get reminded about things you'd forgotten about that have happened. Yeah, you um, really do. And Sam Draper wins goal of the year because Essendon have <laughs> more members and Josh Dacos's goal, even though it was ridiculous, um, didn't get a look in anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's an entertaining night. I thought Cripps, I didn't think he was going to win it until the Adelaide game when he got the three. Um, yeah which like he was the best player that night. It's just so hard to get three in a losing side. Yeah. Um, and I think when he got, I was pretty confident going into the last round because you knew he was going to get three yeah. and Neil, the Brisbane got towed up by Melbourne. So he wasn't going to poll very well. So um, it was a really exciting count though. And um, we'll get onto it a bit later, but I know Cripps is a very popular winner as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so we'll move on from the Brownlow then and go go back to the results from the weekend. So we had the Friday night game. That was Geelong, just too good. Ben, being there live, what do you think they did so well? Was it just sheer manpower? They just had too many good players or was it the game, the the tactics that they implemented over Brisbane? Yeah, it was their, their ball movement, basically. Yeah. They, they seemed to move the ball with such ease. I mean, I... I it would be so frustrating to have been a, a Brizzy supporter of that game because everything was coming through such hard work for Brisbane and they, they'd need to win eight consecutive contests just to get an inside 50 um, and invariably a turnover. And then it looked like the Geelong players were just running downhill. Um, it, it all came so easy to them. They moved the ball 
with speed. I think that was the biggest thing I said to the people I was sitting with. It's like, this is meant to be the oldest team in the comp yet. They, their ball movement live is absolutely electric and they've still got some pace in the legs. Obviously they're very good by foot as well. And they're incredibly well drilled. So while they are an old team, I certainly think they can move the ball as well and as quickly as anyone in the comp. And obviously Dangerfield set the tone early. I think he had nine touches and two goals in the first quarter. And by the time they, they kicked that one late, I think one after the siren in the first quarter, the floodgates had, had broken open. And I think that's something that Sydney have to be really, really wary of. Um, Sydney obviously started very hot in their prelim, but I think that, yeah, first quarter will be one to watch. Both teams are, are hot starters. 100%. I, it's really interesting looking at how Geelong have transformed this side. There's no Dalhouse or Higgins. Parfit and Menegola don't get a look in. They've been pretty much every other team, I would have thought. And it's not like Geelong's midfielder superstars. Like Cam Guthrie led their Brownlow count with 12 votes, I think, in the midfield. I think Jeremy Cameron won it overall. But um, it's Guthrie and Atkins leading the the charge and Selwood and Dangerfield are kind of like pinch hitting at the moment in there it's just that that depth they've got through and with max holmes and isaac smith they bring such speed and just endurance power running um they're talking about how they were just like running over the ground and collingwood were doing a similar thing um so i mean i personally i don't know how you feel hugo but i thought we were watching brisbane play their grand final the week before and it looked like they were kind of mentally shot by the time that prelim came around I agree. I think you talk about um, some of these like preliminary final wins getting to the grand final. They played their, you know, grand final the week before. So you've got, you know, GWS against um, Collingwood. Um, what was the other one recently? Anyway, um, play a big final and you come back and, and can't do it the next week. Um, Brisbane was shown, like Melbourne showed that you could score easily against Brisbane at the start of the game in the qualifying final. And then, sorry, in the semi-final. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, they threw it away, but Geelong just continued and were just too consistent at, at every contest. They just, Brisbane just could not find a way to get through and, and compete really. They're, they're going to be so hard to beat. They yeah. looked they looked a million bucks and they're playing the G incredibly well. Yeah. Um, one more thing on Brisbane. So it seemed like, yeah, they played their grand final the week before and, they've found their way into finals in pretty high positions each year, but then just in finals pressure and in the contest of finals footy, they just get overdone the midfield out competed every year. Do you think Josh Dunkley, who's recently just requested a trade there, do you think he can fix this or do you think this is a, a lost cause for Brisbane? This group just can't get over the line in finals. I think if they change coach, they should win it next year is my personal view. They do not, and I thought Luke Hodge's comments were pretty telling. He's like, Brisbane have been a team for the last five or six years, which is when he was at the club, that have play more on talent and system. And they just don't have a defensive system. Yeah. If they can get some kind of defense together, this year they're going to get Dunkley, the number one pick, um, Will Ashcroft, Marcus Afcroft's son, father-son, and Jasper Fletcher is another top 20 father-son. All midfielders, all going straight in there. They think Ashcroft's ready to go, make an immediate impact. Um, they describe him basically as the next Sam Walsh is the type of player he is. They add him and Dunkley to that midfield. Um, I think it, it becomes really, really strong. Their forward line hasn't actually had the opportunity to really click yet, but if they get Gunson in to replace McStay, which is also pretty live um, chance of happening at the moment, if they can just figure out how to defend, they should be a serious side. So I think their list is now like they, 
they should have had played in the grand final in the last three years. When you just look at their list on paper, especially their forward line, it's ridiculous. Um, but they haven't. And I think unless the coaching steps up changes there, they will continue to be the same team again. Yeah. Very, it's a very interesting take. I uh, must say when you initially said it off the top, it didn't make much sense, but as well, well argued. And I do think when you watch them, you get a sense that they're not playing with a whole lot of structure. Um, and I think that, yeah, perhaps it, it will be a, a quick thing. It's very hard to build in structure over a season though. Um, so the idea of a new coach or a new structure would have that immediate effect of, you know, catapulting them into a grand final. They looked a hell of a long way off it on Friday night, but anyway, history will judge. Impromptu hit or miss there, Hamish. Well done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the other game then. Um, and what a game it was. Uh, last time we had a prelim at the SCG, it was also decided by a point um, players kick after the siren. I mean, Sydney just looked so... What was that? I just didn't know <laughs> why it was relevant. Was that's all. Yes, no, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney just seemed too good most of the game, though. Um, and then, like, they they're all over them. Sam Reed's injury was actually a huge difference maker, I think. And then when he went down, Grundy also changed his game completely, rightfully. Um, and they Collingwood just came back and, like, they have made a close game. Like, it was as scripted, I think. <laughs> but they just couldn't get over the line. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. I don't know. Okay, okay, okay. okay, okay. No, um, I can, I've got something I can, I can, quit, I can lead you into it if you do. No, no, no. I'm happy. I talk about it for days. Um, yeah, mate. Absolutely, one of the one of the great games you've ever seen. I agree. It was all going to script for the Pies. Um, they got it. They got it right where they needed it. It was in their forward fifty as the seconds counted down. Um, it was sort of a weird one because it didn't look like it was going to be close sort of until it was, which is such a nuffy comment, but um, Sydney really looked in command. And even when the momentum slowly started shifting, it was shifting like the Titanic turns, like it wasn't going at any speed. And then all of a sudden that last sort of five, six, seven minutes was absolute chaos. And on reflection, one of, one of the great games, if you had have asked me halfway through the fourth quarter, um, I would have said it's been a pretty willing contest, but Sydney got the jump on them and it's been a sort of a level game ever since towards the end of the first quarter. Um, But yeah, they, they just never really give up. I wouldn't go as far as saying I I like Collingwood or anything, but I did, I did enjoy watching them play this season and I hope they bring that sort of frenetic energy again next year. They were, yeah, it was four goals down with five minutes to play. It's not, it shouldn't be close in a prelim, but they probably, should have won it in the end, despite Sydney being the better team for at least yeah. 75% of the game. Um, I've got a few interesting takes on this, which I, I'm not sure you guys will feel strongly about it, but I know I'm going to annoy some Collingwood people here. Um, firstly, I do think that non-decision against Tom Patley was a shocker. Um, was clear <laughs> in the back. The ball hit the ground as well. I don't think it was front on contact. Um, and I think that ends up costing Collingwood the game. Um, as did the, the couple of 50s that they gave away as well. But I think that comes with the territory of playing a, a home prelim. But all this talk about, I've never seen like a prelim final end and so much discussion be about the loser rather than yeah. the winner straight off. And I know that's because they finished really strongly and 
they had this great run. Sydney have been on a, a really good run themselves, actually a longer winning streak than Collingwood. The thing I want to say to Collingwood fans is you lost the prelim by a point, you know? All this stuff, I've spoken to a few of them. They're so proud of their team. They One of their <laughs> favorite seasons. Was, no, you lost the prelim by a point, okay? Like, you missed out on a great opportunity to win the flag. You're going to have a hard draw next year. Everyone's going to go to school on how to play against you. Your best players are getting old. You don't have any good youth. You're going to lose the goal. You're going to lose the goal. And I'm going to predict you to come 18th again. <laughs> but you, most of all, you lost the prelim by a point. I'm sorry. There's no excuses getting around that. And I think it's less painful for them because they were never in front and they probably didn't deserve at any stage to be in front. But geez, I would not be so positive as the Collingham fans are about the result as they are. Because no. there's one thing I have in sport. When losers act like winners, it does just jar with me a little bit. And Collingwood didn't win that game. I understand they had a great last quarter, but they're not in the grand final. because they got a spray for acting like losers last yeah. time. And this is what I said. This I said they have to lose the prelim and then start celebrating. And this is what's happened. It's literally what's happened. Obviously friends of the podcast. Obviously listening to me. Um, it's a it's a good point. I think that the whole dynamic around Collingwood would be completely different if the anomaly of a of last season didn't occur. I think they just stopped playing for Buckley um, and whatever else went on and they completely underperformed. This is a team that's been consistently a top four, top eight team for the best part of a decade. They're absolutely stacked with talent and they brought more in at the start of the season. And again, like the idea that they overperformed to such an extent that they can just be thrilled with a prelim loss, uh, I think is a real belies the reality of the football club, which is they, they just, they should have been there. They played as well as they should have. And then they fumbled the bag at the last minute and they'll probably finish 18th next year. I think you're right. <laughs> I think, I think you're, so there's a difference between you're allowed to be proud of the effort. And I think as a, if I was a Collingwood supporter, I'd be proud of the season they'd had and the effort they'd put through, you know, getting over the line in so many close games. That's something to be proud of, but you cannot celebrate losing a prelim it takes a hell of a lot of effort to get to a prelim final and to fall short you have to be disappointed and they will be over the offseason they'll think that was our opportunity you might never get one ever again Lee Montagna was about this after the game when a lot of the players you know David King was saying oh they'll be back it's fine they won't you know take this as a loss as well as much because you know they'll be back you don't know they'll be back it's a hard mountain to summit I think Dugoy will stay and I think they'll be competitive next year but um you know, you never know exactly. That's um, probably the only reasonable take in the entire yeah. segment. What we just <laughs> heard from you. <laughs> um, a little bit more on the game. So s- tactically, Darcy Moore didn't start on Lance Franklin and just seemed lost at sea. Did you see that one, Hamish? And did you did you have any opinions on why they might have done that and why it took them so long to switch switch him onto Buddy? And then as soon as he did, he he started taking the game apart. Well, yeah, I think they did it. They wanted him to be playing the the loose man in defense, taking all the, the intercept marks. And they probably thought Buddy had would come in with a plan to try and take more away from the ball. But Brandon Maynard didn't play a very good first no. quarter at all, unfortunately, by his All-Australian standards. Um, so that really threw the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of Collingwood's planning. And to their credit, they adjusted and moved more onto Franklin. But... It, that start is what cost them the game in the end, hey, those those first yeah. four and a half goals. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those 
little tactical thing. I don't think Maynard's ever a really great matchup for Buddy. I don't think he's got him covered. It's not like Maynard's really going to hurt you on the rebound like more can off Buddy. So it's a bit of a weird one to, to start with. So I, yeah, I don't think you're going to get Geelong experimenting on Buddy next this week. Like they just wouldn't take a risk like that. And you want your best players where the ball is and Sydney go to Buddy when he's playing a lot more than anyone else. So if, if Moore's there, we've seen May completely dominate the matchup, win the ball and counter-attack the week before or you know two weeks before. Why would you you change it up? And obviously, yeah. you know, they thought it would work and I doubt Geelong will do it this week. I think um, that matchup will be a, a win for Geelong, whoever end up, ends up going there, probably deconing, probably. Yeah. Um, all right, well, that's a little bit of a teaser for the grand final preview now. Um, do we think Geelong's just going to be too strong, too good, Ben? I'm pretty sure you have pretty strong opinions about Geelong just being too good on the day. Yeah, I certainly think it's theirs to lose. They um, they don't really have any weaknesses. I don't think they're overly reliant on a single player, which is a big one to look for. And I found it interesting. I think one of you touched on it before. Like neither team that's in the grand final had anyone that polled very high in the Brownlow. They're they're really even sides and they play as such. So it's not one of those games where like you take one player out, put a hard tag on one player and the game opens up for you. Um, so I just think it's team V team and holistically, I think Geelong just across the, across the line uh, are the more complete side. Yeah. Uh, I tend to agree there, Ben. Um, what do you think Sydney needs to do, Hamish, to change things up? Um, they won the matchup earlier in the season, although it was what, round two. Buddy kicked his down. Yeah, it was a weird game. Um, yeah, this was the period where Chris Scott was changing their game as well. Well, the game had been changed. They were adapting to it. And um, they were admittedly said they were going to lose a few games to win a few finals. And this was probably during that period, Sydney were on the momentum of Buddy's thousandth. Do you think anything comes from that, Hamish? Or do you think Sydney have to change the way they play this week? What do you think going through the mind of, of Horse, Jong Longmire this week? Uh, I think the blueprint to beat Geelong is there. You just got to look at the Saints back in <laughs> or whatever. No, um, right. I think Collingwood showed how you beat the Cats and it's Sydney for me, it doesn't upgrade Collingwood. They swarm you with pressure. And I think that's why Collingwood open them up in the last quarter as Sydney couldn't maintain it for four quarters. But if they bring the same pressure they did at the start of the game, uh, they should be able to swarm the cat, stop their ball movement. And they're so efficient inside 50, the Swans, especially out of the middle. If they isolate their forwards, they score a ridiculous amount of time. They, they go inside. Plus they've got midfielders who kick a lot of goals. So um, I'll be picking Sydney. I think their game stacks really? up to beat um, the Cats because they're just their pressure game. Um, if they bring it, should be too much for for the cats what players are you looking out for i know i just wrote off the idea that any individual is going to win it but obviously they've every team's got really dynamic both teams have got seriously dynamic players hugo who have you got your eye out for who you came to see um so i think jeremy cameron can really change the game for geelong whether they decide to throw him in the middle when they need to win win a ball and then he goes up forward he can play the dusty type role maybe where you know goes to a center bounce and then goes to move forward um you know tom hawkins has still got a lot left in him um i don't think selwood's going to take the game away from you if you're sydney but his consistency and and um, experience in finals is unmatched he's now playing his 40th final when i think Almost 40% of AFL players 
um, don't play 40 games in their career, as in not finals, just regular season games. That's insane. Um, so I know 40, 40% of players make it to 40 games. So there you go, um, even less. Um, then on the other side, Sydney have enough dynamic players in the middle. I mean, to be honest, a friend of the podcast, James Robottom, played a few key or had a few key plays in that last quarter that really helped Sydney get over the line. I think he can be crucial for them um, because then that brings depth into their midfield that maybe Geelong don't don't match. Um, they've got just got kind of pinch hitters, as we were saying. Atkins is key for them. Um, Blitzarves is a man that can do anything for Geelong. Um, he's a smoky for the norm. Then you've got De Koning down back. If if Sydney can open him up as a young player, then you know they can get away with a win there. Maybe um, Papley is can do anything in a final and probably will. Celebration might do his shoulder, but it'll be worth it if they win the flag. <laughs> if Papley kicks the first goal, it's just going to be raucous. Oh, you got to be you got to be on Papley for first goal. Oh my god, he'll, he'll be still running a lap by the time the ball bounces back yeah. in the, the middle. We do, it'll be warm enough for the grand final sprint. Exactly, he should win it as well. He, he did win it a couple of years ago. I don't know. Um, anyway, it's an exciting game. It's an exciting day. I'm glad we've talked ourselves into a grand final week. Um, here's, sorry, here's a niche one that you've got me thinking. Reece Stanley <laughs> has a chance to become, yeah. I believe, the first player to ever win the grand final sprint and a grand final. Wow, Paddy Dangerfield. I don't know. I've completely made that up. It may be true. I think Paddy, I mean, as as Paddy Dangerfield. Um, has Paddy Dangerfield yeah. won a grand final sprint? I think he did. See who who is taking part for Essendon, Hamish, and all podcast listeners. Friend of the podcast, Jake Kelly. So good luck to Jake. <laughs> good luck to Jake. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's the real show. The grand final is just a kid, right? The, the, the grand the final sprint. Oh yeah, the cab driver. Um, the beauty of this grand final really is the fact that whoever wins, we're going to have another player enter the illustrious club of having played for St Kilda but winning a flag at a separate club. So we <laughs> Stanley, Stanley if a Cats win or Tom Hickey and Paddy McCartan if the, the Swans win. So um, It's a strong lineup. A very um, strong lineup. I can't believe that one of Reese Stanley or Tom Hickey is going to be a premiership player, premiership Ruckman, but there you go. Again, it's the Ruckman thing. You don't need a good Ruckman. You don't need them. a good Ruck. No. It helps, but you don't need one. Um, either side, I think we're going to get some pretty pretty strong celebrations either way, Hamish, some pretty parochial fans. Um, yeah. We managed to pull a few in. Uh, so we'll have a listen now to a Geelong fan about their thoughts of the, the upcoming game. Um, unfortunately, friend of the podcast, an absolute favourite, Dan, had to pull out late. He's, uh, he's a little bit nervous currently sitting in his closet waiting for the game to start. He's just looking at the ceiling. So um, <laughs> he's obviously, he said he, he said he'd be keen to do an interview after the game. But he doesn't want to jinx it this close out, which you can understand. If you're as superstitious as that man, you can understand it. <laughs> Charlie, thanks for joining. Big week this week. How do you feel going to the granny? Do you think the Swans stand a chance at all? Look, I, I think they do. But I think at the end of the day, class shows out on the big stage. Uh, the best teams don't get any worse. Uh, I think we've shown this final series 
Uh, that Collingwood game, obviously it got tense and, and we showed that, you know, Collingwood have overrun a lot of teams during the season, but there's probably a bit of a point of difference between those older, experienced Cats heads. I think the occasion could get to the Swans, the young sort of fellas, your Rowbottoms, your McInerney's, your Gouldens, um, even your McCartans. They've had a great year. They've been riding away, but you get to a grand final day. It's a whole new experience. I just back the likes of Stewart, Dangerfield, Selwood. Uh, when the heat gets going, they're going to slow the ball down, control the footy in, and really put it back on Geelong's terms. I'm excited to see the Hawkins-Cameron uh, duo on the big stage. I think it could cause headaches for any defence, and I like the matchup with the McCartan boys. I think it makes the McCartan boys really, really accountable. Uh, when you've got someone like Stengel running around, uh, you've then got to worry, you know, for Rampy to be watching his back pocket. These blokes aren't just going to be allowed to fly across the front of the pack. Let's face it, Buddy signed another year, but he's washed. Stuart has no regard, Stuart has no regard for him, but to Koenig will go and, and put an arm across just because we need to. I think Stuart has a field day, to be honest, particularly if Reid doesn't get up. So quietly confident, but grand finals, they're funny things. You never know. First quarter will be really telling. Does the Swans energy come out and get us sort of the experienced heads take the sting out of the game early? Yeah, love that take. A uh, few flashbacks to 2020, I'm sure, but we'll be avoiding that one. Um, finally, just what what do you have to say to all the people who rode off Geelong at the start of the year? Too old, too slow, proven them wrong yet, or will they really need to win the granny to, to prove them wrong? Look, I think with Geelong, anything but a granny and a grand final victory even will be seen as a disappointment from the outside footy world. Uh, I think we've proven year on year that making a prelim, while for any other club, would be given a tick. For Geelong, it's just simply not enough. And Chris Scott will still cop flack for not being able to deliver on the big stage. Personally, making a granny, getting there, yeah, it serves me, serves me as a supporter, uh, shows that we're in the right direction. But for the outside footy world, it just won't be enough. As to the two-old comment, danger. Two goals, two and 28. Our first two goals of the game on the weekend, I think he showed that he's not going to perform every week anymore. I know that. He's going to have quieter games where he has 16 and might kick three behinds because the bloke can't kick straight. But on the weekend, he showed that in a prelim, the hottest and most contested footy you'll get, and he just showed that he is still the class above. I think you'll find that while Selwood probably doesn't have the numbers that he used to have, when that, when that third quarter starts and that first or second clearance is really key to getting the boys going after halftime, watch Sell would want to be the one that's the go-to. Watch him get that clearance every single time. I think Geelong's really been able to pair those those sort of inside older bull bodies with some younger younger blokes. Tommy Atkins adds a really good spark in there. And it was interesting to see how Parfit fell out of favour later in the year. And, and, and Tommy Atkins was favoured and really took that role. Um, I really, really like it. And then you throw in a dynamic body like a Blitzarves. Um, as for the older blokes on our team, Tommy Hawkins doesn't look like slowing down. Third, fourth in the Coleman, no worries. Had some kicking issues last week, didn't matter. Still kicked four. Jasmine <laughs> Cameron, he, he overcame a hamstring injury, took three weeks down at the, the farm and, and has come back absolutely beautifully. Um, you know, your likes here, Mitch Duncan. He doesn't have an opponent on the weekend, so I wouldn't worry about him getting uh, getting out muscled. He'll just float around. Him and Stewie, watch that on the weekend. Watch those two float behind the ball. Any Sydney Swans player goes. Luke Parker wins a clearance. He looks up, looks where to kick it. Stewart, Duncan, perfectly bodied down the line. So I think we've adapted our game style and then added a bit of younger flair to overcome the, the old age. Your Stengels, your Max Holmes types. I hope he gets up thinking of you, Maxie. They'll do just enough 
just enough to balance the old heads and maybe those less sort of brutal um, combative bodies. And uh, I think we'll be just fine. Love it. Love it. Um, love the confidence and and sending a lot of positive energy onto Saturday. Um, just before we go, love a, a tip and then a Norm Smith tip as well. Who you got and Geelong by how many? Uh, well, it's got to go. I think Geelong, I think we win by 19. Uh, and I think, I think Jeremy Cameron. Yeah. He's set up. He's got those GWS, that, that Richmond game. That's sort of probably running through his mind, but I think he's raring to go overcome that hamstring injury late and he's just in yeah some really 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 good touch I really really like the way that tech usually wouldn't back the the tall forward as such to win the norm because I don't think even you know your four or five wins it in a granny I think they want that midfielder but with Jezza you know he can have you know 23 and 24 he'll get up on the wing and then he'll beat his opponent out the back so I think that's got all the makings of two goals on the run he'll kick four there'll be two on the run and he'll kick two on the lead one of them will be wheeling on the arc outside 50 and it'll bring the absolute house down. And I think he'll, I think he'll go home with it. Yeah, huge. Great result there. Um, and good luck to the Cats, mate. Thanks again for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me, Cat. Ben, should we move on? Please. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Um, second main story. And as I said, it is a, a huge one for the entire world of sport. And that is the retirement. I wouldn't say shock retirement of Roger Federer. He's 41, I believe. Um, came back from a second knee surgery in two years. I read an article about a month ago that he was still experiencing pain. And as soon as I read that, I thought, uh, gee, that's that's not a good sign. He's rehabbed it for over 12 months. And if he's still feeling pain, it's not going to be long for the tennis world. And sure enough, the announcement came a couple of days ago, hanging up the racket and boots, which is sad for tennis fans, but a great opportunity for everyone to pause and reflect on the career that was. So before we get into any general discussion, I'll go through a couple of stats that I've, I've found over the past few weeks of tennis records that federal holds that I think may never, ever be broken. And the first one is um, reaching 10 consecutive Grand Slam finals. That is unbelievable. 237 consecutive weeks as world number one male tennis player, winning his first seven Grand Slam finals in a row. And an underrated one, I think, is winning 100 matches at two different Grand Slams. So he first did it at Wimbledon and then did it at the Australian Open. There's only like a handful of players that have ever done it once. And to do that at, at two separate majors on two different surfaces, incredible. And he hasn't had a bad run at the other two. Arguably the GOAT, certainly one of my favorite sportsmen of all time. Hugo, what a how do you sum up the man that is? I mean... I think I'll just miss having him at the Oz Open as a selfish fan is, you know, just flicking on Channel 7 or 9 or whatever it's on and seeing that he's playing, you know, say, oh, I'm going to... Or, you know, looking at the app and finding when he's playing, scheduling your watch, your viewing time around Roger Federer. There's just not, not going to be anyone like that anymore. Like, you just get joy from watching him, makes you smile, the 
the humbleness and the skill as well. Um, it was that combo that really won over so many Australian fans in particular. I think he really epitomised a lot of Australian culture and um, is a player that I think we wish uh, tennis players acted a lot more like. Um, I mean, the winning also helps as well. Um, <laughs> and, he was gracious in defeat. Oh, always. He was, a, he was a pretty perfect sportsman. Yeah, I think that's a good word, perfect. <laughs> um yeah, I'm going to miss him. And he really was just a champion of champions and one of the greatest athletes, regardless of the sport of the last 20, 30 years. So I'll miss you, Roger. Is he your goat? Uh, yeah, we talked about this yeah. already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, in depth. <laughs> I, I think he's everyone's goat deep down. Um, and anyone who says no is just trying to be contrarian, but that's up to them to figure that out. So um, I think he's one of the few who's really transcended their their sport. Um, he's the he's been the face of the sport forever. I remember someone saying that the difference between Roger and Rafa it's not a good or bad difference, but Roger plays every game, any stage, in any game, purely believing in himself and being like, "I can win this game." I back my ability the whole way. That like inner self confidence. And Rafa has like the the opposite, where he's like. If I don't win now, I could lose at any stage. Um, nothing's assured. Um, it's like the kind of the the inverse of that, always doubting yourself to drive yourself to be better the whole time. So I always found that was an interesting little mindset distinction between the two of them. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think we're really going to miss him. It's such a shame he didn't get out here one more time. Um, the fact he won those two Australian Opens so late in his career, I think so special. We're so lucky to have those two wins because both of them could have gone the other way. Um, they're both five setters and, and thrillers in their own right. So um, we're all very lucky to have seen him in the flesh playing. Um, and yeah, I'd be very interested to see what he does next because the world really is at Roger Federer's feet. I think it will be forever. Very well said. All right. So moving on to another retirement now, and this is our last main story for the week. Cricket world. Rachel Haynes has announced her retirement, very low key, very, Rachel Haynes um, style. Uh, she said she wrapped up after the Commonwealth Games, had some time to reflect and kind of looked at the schedule. It's upcoming. It's really heavy schedule for the women cricket and just felt that she wasn't that excited about it and thought that, you know, she should leave her spot to someone who is more excited about it, which um, was pretty honest reflection. And, you know, she's got a young family now and keen to, um, turn her attention elsewhere. Um, but she was an absolute star of Australian cricket. One of the most consistent and reliable players in the Australian team. I absolutely loved watching her bat as well. Um, I think it leaves the Australian women's team in an interesting predicament now. They're going through a real generational shift. It's been kind of snuck up on us, but with Elise Perry not being a walk-up starter, Meg Lanning having some um, time off from the game at the moment, um, It'll be interesting to see who's captain. Maybe it's Alyssa Healy. We'll wait and see. Uh, but there's a spot now at the, the top of the order for someone to, to go and grab it. Um, how do you guys reflect on the career that was? Yeah, I mean, fantastic. I think 13 years it spanned superstar and a great way to, to finish it off as well. I think it's interesting. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of the first of this golden generation of, of female Australian cricketers to retire. And, and as you said, with everything else that's going on with a few of the other stars of that generation, it is a real um, 
sort of changing of the guard in Australian women's cricket, but it's, they've, they've certainly paved the way. Um, and, you know, Australian women's cricket will, will forever be indebted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some very exciting young players coming up for Australia. And I don't think I'll, I'll be expecting us to lose too many in the, in the, um, near future, but seeing a lot of these players we've grown up with retire is, um, is quite sad and also, you know, inspired a generation of, of female athletes and female cricketers, you know, cricket was the first big international sport that got such big following and funding in Australia. Cricket Australia did that really well. Um, and this is the ge- first generation to really benefit and reap those rewards. Um, so yeah, first of, of many to come, I think. Yeah. Well said Hugo. Um, just want to touch on the, the men's team at the moment as well. So we mentioned off the top that they'd just beaten India in the, the first of the T20s. Beating India at home in a 2020 is never an, an easy feat. So um, especially to chase down 211, I think that's our highest ever score in a T20 in India. Player of the match, Cameron Green, one for 46 off three, a little bit expensive, but 61 off 30, more than made up for it with the bat. He is in a beautiful vein of form at the moment, but he was not selected in Australia's T20 World Cup squad. Um, is it too late this, to change that? Yeah, well, this is the thing, isn't it? There is obviously pressure on on Aaron Finch. He scored 22 um, in the first the first game, but he opened with Cameron Green. Um, yeah. And the yeah the opening, the fact that he opened and scored 61 says to me he's probably someone we want to look at having in that side. Um, Smith had a very Smith innings, 35 of 24. Glenn Maxwell had a very Glenn Maxwell innings of one off three. Um, and then we had contributions from Inglis and David. Yeah, sorry, that was that's rough on Glenn, but it's all or nothing. <laughs> um, and then Matty Wade, just 45 of 21, clutch at the end, hit Again. Um, two sixes yeah. to win us the so match. Reliable. So reliable. He's so reliable. His spot is not in doubt. It's bizarre that he and Kerry have cemented themselves so permanently one in the one day and one in the t20 but neither of them get to look in in the other yeah. the other format yeah, um true. what do you guys think make of cameron green uh into the t20 world cup squad an interesting thing to note is his bowling was one for 46 off three so he went at 15 economy so if you're picking him you can't really have like you can have him from an over or two but he's definitely not bowling his four and you can't bank on him being a bowling all-rounder like they do in the other formats so I think it would be a very bold selection. I don't think it'll happen, but I think with Warner in, uh, I just, I can't believe still Smith, Steve Smith still finds a spot in this T20 side. I just don't like, is it a respect thing? Cause when was the last time he won us a game of T20 cricket? Yeah, it's a good Go question. And, well, yeah, well, <laughs> it's a great question. The function he serves in the one day team as being, you know, being able to control right the yeah. ship if we lose early wickets that doesn't really carry over to, to T20 because the format of the game, you don't need that that player. It's it's foot pedal to the metal the entire time. So I agree. I think if it's a discussion between him and Finch, then his bowling doesn't really Matter. factor into it because you're still like, you're taking his seam up over Finch's trundles <laughs> any day of the week. So like you could you could say that he's probably got the bowling over the two, and then would you rather him opening the batting? So thought of if Aaron Finch wasn't Aaron Finch and you were just sort of looking at the two in the nets right now, uh, I reckon it'd be a bit of a no-brainer. So watching his striking, I didn't watch the game, I watched the highlights package. 
but green striking was absolutely it's unbelievable. Ridiculous. Like full up 360 degrees, hitting really solid, like good deliveries for six. Uh, he's he's a gifted talent, and he's certainly more the future of the team that T Twenty team than a Finch or a, a Smith is. So I think there's a, a strong case to be made. The other interesting one was Nathan Ellis, who's been on the T20 circuit now for quite a while. Um, Four overs, three for 30, economy rate 7.5. Pat Cummins, four overs, none for 47, economy rate just shy of 12. Um, It does raise questions as well about whether you should be picking people who literally spend their whole lives going around the world, earning their keep by bowling four overs a match and absolutely nailing that skill. Um, Or do you just pick the guy, the man that is Pat Cummins, the absolute brand? Um, it's weird. T20 is a bit like that, though. It's it's a, just a different skill set. Um, yeah. It's like long drive championships versus playing a, a proper golf tournament. Like, it is really, really niche. <laughs> um, so, I, I agree. You, I reckon you're picking a, a T20 specialist any day of the week over a sort of bona fide superstar of the, of the longer forms. Yeah. So, what I you're think- saying, Ben, is there's, a, there's somewhere for me on the professional golf tour. As um, a long drive champion, <laughs> <laughs> I think as long as it doesn't have to go straight, as long yeah, as it's total distance long. in the air, I'm a shout. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think it'll take Australia to lose the World Cup for us to change something like that, though, um, and to lose to not make the final or something, and then they beat. I mean, if you see our group, we're with India, England, New Zealand as well. I think no, no England, India, New Zealand, us, and Afghanistan. So. Tough draw for the Afghans. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, also, you know, one of us, New Zealand and India, aren't getting out of it. So could be us easily. And then maybe they'd change it up and realise you can't just pick, you know, Pat Cummins because he looks good. and He does look good. He's a god. <laughs> he looks very good. He certainly looks um, good. I mean, his, his T20 form hasn't really been in question too much up until recently. You know, he was originally... Uh, he made his way in the in the IPL and um, in the T20 leagues before he got better in first class. Um, this is between you know his South African debut and re-entry into the Test scene. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, Adam Zampa consistent for Australia, and then Josh Hazelwood's limited over form has been so good. Um, two for thirty. I will just correct you here. Our group is Afghanistan, England, and New Zealand. Oh, okay. Um, so the the reason I remember that is because India and Pakistan sold out the MCG in their group stage game in like three and a half seconds. So um, I I cannot wait for that game. It's going to be. Are you going to that? You play teams I outside. I didn't get tickets. Well. I think you play teams outside your group. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense as well. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We can move on now to our, our moments of the week. Ben, you've got a great one to start us off. Yeah, it is. A, it's a hell of a moment. Um, could almost really feature in one of the, the headline stories, but it was a, a bumper week of sport. But nonetheless, from one 41-year-old goat to the next, I've got Lauren Jackson making her comeback to professional basketballing ranks. She's going to come off the bench this afternoon in, in Australia's World Cup opener against France. It's being played in Sydney, I believe. Um, for those who don't know, it was a series of chronic knee injuries that basically forced Jackson out of the game in 2013, but she was an, a superstar um, for the Opals, 220 appearances. And after, you know, a serious stint out of the game, she's healthy. Uh, she's got a, she's got her mind right. And she's made a, a complete comeback and it, you know, it all 
comes to a head this afternoon. So I think it'll be incredible to see her out there, obviously not in the leading role that she used to play in her heyday, but nonetheless, uh, from, you know, from, from all reports, she's going to play a pretty key role in our world cup campaign. So I'm absolutely thrilled to see how she goes. And I think it's a, an amazing comeback story. Yeah. That is a all time comeback story really for Australian athletes. And um, another good point is that it's great that Liz Cambage hasn't taken up too much of the, the pre-World Cup story, I haven't really heard about her at all, so it's good that we've we've moved on from that one. Hamish, what's your moment of the week? Uh, my moment of the week comes from the skyexch.net Road Safety World Series Cricket 2022. And yes, that is the name, the real name of the tournament. Um, this is a Legends Cricket tournament where they have the likes in the Australian team of Watson, Haddon, Lee, Stuart Clark, Alex Doolan, Calm Ferguson, Jason Crazier, tons more, Ben Dunk, the list goes on. They're playing against all the legends from uh, seven other, other countries. As I said off the top, we're one and one. We lost all seven games last year, but we're taking it serious this year with uh, bringing in some, some real weapons from times gone by and also recent times. What, what other international a, a very players? Long ball. Um, from other teams? Yeah. Um, Abhijan Singh. <laughs> I haven't actually looked at the he's, other teams. Sorry, I, I think <laughs> just because I think Tendulkar might be playing for that. Like, oh, sure. I think he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is playing, and Yuvraj is playing as well. The reason I know that is because there's this great picture posted on Twitter of all the players from That's all the teams on a on a plane, and there's yeah. one row of what looks like premium economy, and in seat one A is Sachin Tendulkar, and he's well, got a friend with him. Be? And he's got Yuvraj, <laughs> he's got Yuvraj Singh with him. Um, everyone else is crammed into the rest of economy. It's like sardines. It's pretty funny. All these legends of the game. Um, anyway, the the moment of the week comes from Australia's first game of the tournament against Bangladesh, when uh, there was this guy sitting on the the sidelines. I know you guys watched every ball, and um, on the, the bench for the Aussies, I'm like who's this? Who's this bloke in the team? I really recognize him. I, I can't place him though. He's so out of context. Anyway, it's none other than George Holland Smith, um, which may ring a bell for some of you, but he's a former AFL footballer, played for Geelong and then later the Gold Coast Suns, famous for running around with his socks pulled off really high, always looked slightly out of place in the footy field, even though he was pretty good at the game, um, even by AFL standards, and probably didn't get enough look at it from... Um, a purely skilled perspective. That's a story for a, another time. Is it? Anyway, he's a man of many talents. <laughs> he's a man of many talents. He rolls the armor. He rolls very effective off speed and turns out he's actually a champion junior cricketer. So much so that they're floating him to be part of this Legends World Series. He's, he's playing against with all these other guys who are champions of Australian cricket. It's one of the funniest things I've seen. Um, and George Hall and Smith running around. I just thought that was the most bizarre thing I've seen this year on a sporting field. And I'm not sure it'll ever be top, to be honest. Yeah, that is... Where do you go from there, Hugo? (laughs) Just have to take a moment to think about that. Um, Wow. I wouldn't mind uh, travelling around playing with those blokes um, as long as Brett Lee's only bowling off five steps. I should say as well, they're, they're raising awareness for road safety. So who can't get around that? No, I think we got that from the title. Just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my one's a little bit different um, from the world of elite average to elite. Um, we go to the MLB. So this is uh, American baseball, obviously. Uh, it's Aaron Judge, a New York Yankees hitter. Um, he has just hit his 60th home run for the season is two away from the American lead record. I think 10 away from um, major 
uh, record. Um, this is an unbelievable season for a judge, likely MVP winner, um, and has basically carried the Yankees the second half of the season on his own back. He's this behemoth of a man um, and just murders balls for a living. It's it's unbelievable to see. So he hit this home run, the 60th home run, in a game where the Yankees were down by four at the time when he hit the home run. So then they're down by three. And then basically three Yankees players get on base and then a Yankees player hits a home run in the last inning. So it's called a grand slam when you hit a a home run with loaded bases and then it's a walk-off because it's the last inning. So they win with a walk-off grand slam. Just uh, unbelievable scenes in the same game that Aaron Judge hit his 60th home run. Um, It was awesome scenes (laughs) and my moment of the week. Um, I've also got this week's fan moment of the week. This one comes in from Mac, loyal Carlton supporter and listener of the podcast. He has chosen uh, the AFL chairman's decision of Richard Goida, AFL chairman Richard Goida's decision of giving Joel Salwood a shout out before recognising the Brownlow medalist. So if you didn't catch it, basically... He's about to give a speech about the season of the AFL and congratulate Patrick Cripps and basically just congratulating Patrick Cripps. And he says, just before I say anything, I'd like to congratulate Joel Salwood on a, on a great season and, and wish him good luck going into the grand final, which is just bizarre of all times and places to give Joel Salwood a shout out. He deserves it potentially, but not at this time and not when you're celebrating a medal about one specific person's acts throughout the season. It was bizarre. Did either of you guys see this? Yeah, it was weird. Um, <laughs> I, I think he was trying to congratulate him on his finals record because he's about to play in his 40th final, which is a bit ridiculous, but the timing seemed off to me completely. Um, yeah. Almost like he just missed, skipped a couple of pages on the script. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was slightly odd. Yeah. Yeah, that is weird. All right, now it's time for our On This Day, On This Week segment. Oh, Are you I, sure? Sorry, I scrolled far. I missed a couple pages on the thing. <laughs> Mate, it's t- t- TikTok. <laughs> Tickety talk. Do you want me to All introduce right. it? Oh, my God. Sorry, sorry, go, <laughs> go. I'm sorry. Now, Hamish, there's time is a bit weird here in Queensland. I don't know. They don't use daylight savings. I don't know if there's a time difference. Have you have you got the time down there in, in Canberra? Uh, uh, we do use time in Canberra. It's quite <laughs> healthy and useful, I think. Um, they'll get it'll get up north eventually. But um, anyway, here at least it's time, and I hope you're reading the right page now, Hugo, for Australia, Senegal, and Sri Lanka's favorite segment, hit or miss. <laughs> I get us started this week and this follows several media reports and um, confirmation from Gil McLaughlin um, that the AFL should introduce a magic round. This is basically all nine games taking place in the same city. Um, They'd avoid any home ground advantage. So, you know, Sydney would play GWS or something like that. Um, 
but basically they want all the same all the games in the same city over two days with triple headers um or three days with friday night triple headers as well um this follows the nrl recently doing a magic round to great success that's on i think that's in brisbane um at suncorp stadium and been hugely successful the only issue is ground management um and yeah this comes also after the afl was chatting to the teams after the initial practice match this year which was played in um full game conditions with umpires in stadiums and they just decided well if we're going to do a game like that why don't we just add an extra round um and so they've decided to do this and it doesn't take away any home games for any teams doesn't give any other teams additional home games doesn't take away from members or fans just adds um a spectacle in one city they're talking about doing it in new south wales um to grow the game there however victoria is also open to taking it and i think wa are also open to taking it wait when um, would this when would this be is, and they, is it for premiership points they it would be for premiership points and they're most likely in in a school holidays probably the middle june july school holidays hit or miss boys miss it sort of seems weird I don't, I don't see the point of it. Like we used to have footy, um, I think two ten or something on a Saturday, every game in the VFL was played at once. And there's a reason they stopped doing it because it's annoying. Um, and there, there are better things play it. It's a national sport Play it across the country. I think there are different innovations like bringing back AFLX that the AFL should be looking more <laughs> seriously into than that. Good for me, Ben. Um, it's a miss as well for me. We had it during covid i know people couldn't go to the grounds but i got sick and tired of watching every game at the gabba um and i don't know i'm i'm not that interested in going to watch you know gold coast versus brisbane that eddie had um i i understand the grow the market in sydney idea but like sydney fans from my experience living in canberra where everyone goes to sydney they all go for Sydney. They have no interest in AFL outside of Sydney. It doesn't really exist. Um, so I think it's different in the NRL because it's such a two-state competition. Um, I don't mind the idea of having it like a kind of magic round for just all the Victorian teams um, one weekend and you just play all the derbies around the rest of the country where they belong. Um, but I think you'll find it hard. No, I just think you'll find it hard-pressed asking Port Adelaide and Adelaide fans or West Coast and Freer fans to fly to Melbourne to watch the derby. Um, when it probably should yeah. just be played in, in front of them. Yeah. Well, that's they they wouldn't play the derby anywhere else. I'm not saying that. They'd, so they'd have... But like, I thought you said to avoid home ground advantage because the problem is otherwise someone has to give up their home ground to come and, and fly over. Well, yeah, so you'd add a round. It wouldn't take away any home games. And then if they were all in New South Wales and there's no home ground advantage for any side except for Sydney and GWS and those two would play each other. Um Oh, I see what you're saying. And yeah. then I think they worked it out. You could do it in Victoria if two Victorian teams played in Geelong. I think they have, have to happen that way or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not your worst. No, it's it's, not, not, your best, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a hit. I think it'd be fun um, and adds an extra round of footy. I don't think it takes away anything for the season. Um, but yeah, we can move on. <laughs> All right. Um, mine is. Hit or miss, Patrick Cripps is the most popular winner of the Brownlow since. I couldn't think of anyone, so I just said most popular winner of the Brownlow. Wow. Where's the hit or miss? (laughs) (laughs) 
Patrick Cripps is the most popular winner of the Brownlow hit or miss. Uh, miss as well. I would say Fife second Brownlow was yeah. uh, as popular, if not more. I think Cripps is very popular. If it wasn't for the, the suspension cloud, I think this sort of taints the popularity. Nothing taking away from him. Uh, anyone in their right mind respects him as a footballer, but I, I do think it just sort of clouds the the purity of the award the tiniest bit it won't be remembered in a couple of years but but the immediate reaction and popularity i think is slightly tainted by that yeah absolutely agree i think it's a miss uh nat fife was universally loved at that time um and being on twitter the cesspool is um has shown that a lot of people still think about the um suspension and even though it had no difference on the season really um except for the Brownlow medal, people still think he was, you know, should be thanking his, his QC rather than, you know, his performance. Anyway, Hamish, hit for you. I know it's a miss for me. I, I'm, a, I'm a big five man, so I'm kind of biased. <laughs> um, I, well, I would have been, I found it really weird. So I was listening to interviews the day after. They were saying how like Crips had the support of the room and everyone was cheering, blah, blah, blah. Whereas like, like I got the vibe that Lockie Neal was like one of the, yeah the most liked ones i guess because he was the front runner maybe it makes that harder but i think he also would have been a very popular winner there's rarely a non-popular winner though to be honest like when you look back over the years it's just a lot of like winners who you don't expect like the likes of wines and Pritis and these guys yeah. um whoa woden whoa woden <laughs> um ben classic yeah i've got one which should be pretty non-controversial i think that roger should have gone out in a slam the slight bit of controversy is that he should have finished the slam even if he knew that he couldn't compete at the highest level even if he knew he'd go out and get swept by a millman in the first round or Kokonakis or something i still think he well he doesn't owe the fans anything it just would have been better um hit yeah i mean serena's send-off was just so good um and no one thought she'd win a game and they were all there for the first game and it was going to be awesome. And then she won a couple and it was even better. Um, I mean, you know, obviously he did the right thing for himself. Like you don't want to risk further injury and you don't want to like worst case scenario is he gets injured again and has to retire from the game um, mid game. Cause I don't think he's ever retired from a grand slam match, which is an absurd stat. Um, not that he's looking to, maintain that record but still maybe he is maybe he is. <laughs> that's the only one he cares about <laughs> yeah hamish mm, i was trying to come up with a good reason to say it's a miss but this is a straight up hit um especially if it was australian <laughs> open um i know people will always equate roger with wimbledon because he won the three in a row and because he's a champion of the the grass and the grass is just like in every way more roger than the slick hard court is the the Djokovic robots of the world um <laughs> but I tell you what from purely selfish point of view it would have been so much better if he'd come out and even just one game even three sets would not have mattered no, um, would have been amazing care. to see no no yeah. one cares no one remembers no one that no, it doesn't no. taint you at all so yeah, the I'm, other I'm thing you, the other thing from a selfish perspective is we're just so far away whether he takes his home in in Switzerland, which I, I, I think he currently does. And I can't see why he'd stop living there, but I don't know why he comes out to Australia, yeah. even in a ceremonial function. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, he, he said 
a big reason why he's considered retiring now as well is because he's been open to the idea of commentating. So there you go. You might get Roger commentating. That'd I be reckon... weird. That would be so weird. Would weird. I kind of like Michael Jordan commentating on other people playing basketball. Tom Brady though. Tom Brady signed a $50 million deal to start commentating when he retires. Not that okay. He there you go. Retire. I didn't know that either. Yeah. I think... Ben, I know we're a long way away. I've got a feeling Roger probably travels slightly different to you or I do on the long haul flight with the 10 hour layover in Dubai. Well, um, maybe. I reckon. Is he I not flying scoot? For him. Is he not a scoot? No, he's more of a Ryanair mare, I think, and a bit of Jetstar on the layover as well from Perth. So, um, no, I, I reckon. I reckon if push came to shove, he could put up with that 16 hours and get pretty well looked after. Um, yeah, I'm sure. He but I, I don't know about him commentating either. I think, I don't know. There's something a bit odd about that as well. It's a bit strange. Yeah. yeah. All right. Shall we move on to the fixtures for the next? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> First, you're too eager. Now it's you're Richard eager. Goiter. <laughs> All right, time for our On This Day, On This Week segment for this week. And we've got a topical one with the Queen's passing recently. So from 1901, this one goes back. Um, This was 1901 on the 21st of September. 11 baseball games were cancelled due to the funeral of President William McKinley. McKinley was assassinated in 1901 and they postponed 11 baseball games. So with the postponement of several events, including large chunk of the English football season, very topical and shows it's been going on for over a hundred years. Politics into sport. <laughs> very good one. Very, very topical. Yeah. All right. Have now, any of the listeners heard of President William McKinley? That's the have, that's the question. Right right in at old sport pod. We'll send you some free pod. merch. <laughs> First we'll make the merch and then we'll send it to you. <laughs> we'll send it to you. Exclusive. <laughs> All right, shall we get into some upcoming events? We'll start in the cricket world. We've got a few upcoming T20s. Australia plays India, while some other warm-ups continue across the world for the T20 World Cup coming up soon. That includes England, England's first tour of Pakistan in over 20 years. Not- notably, no player fell into the pool that Alex Carey fell into earlier this year. Uh, meanwhile, we've got week three of NFL action beginning on Friday. Hamish, what about the soccer? Um, there's not a whole lot happening in the, the soccer world. It's the international break at the moment. Um, Scotland did just go to the top of their Nations League table, though, overnight. Shout out to Jeremy, who was, who was at the game at Hampton Park, um, beating Ukraine a bit of, well, I suppose it's not revenge, but they needed to get one back over them after Ukraine knocked them out of the World Cup qualifiers. Um, other than that, not a whole lot happening in the soccer world. Ben? Yeah, a little bit going on in footy this week. Uh, there's obviously a fairly important game Saturday, Arvo. We've got the granny. We'll all be watching it and we'll be reporting on it next week as well. But very excited for that one. I think it's a really cracking matchup. And obviously we're, we have divided opinion here. And as such experts, it's that sort of proves how close to tight it really is. <laughs> in the golf, we've got the President's Cup as well at Quail Hollow kicking off tomorrow morning. So it'll be good to see if the international team spearheaded by Adam Scott can cause an upset there. And of course, in the tennis in London, there's the Labor Cup. Roger Federer's farewell. He's spoken throughout the week about wanting to play his last ever tennis match in a doubles tie with Nadal, which I think would be 
uh, a very fitting end to a storied career and a storied rivalry. So that's all from my end. We've got a few tips and, and bold predictions, and obviously we'll we'll center them around the grand final. So I'll start off, and this is actually brought to you by my mate Adam Cooney, who was sitting next to me at the pub this afternoon. He and I have got Geelong to win by seven points. We've got Cameron winning the Norm Smith medalist, and I'll throw in Papley as first goal scorer just because I want to see it. <laughs> I like that. Um, I've got Geelong by 17. I think they might get out by a bit more, but then Sydney will come back towards the end. I've got Blitzarves winning the Norm Smith. Bit of a smoky there. Um, and let's just go danger with the first goal. All right. I've gone the Swans by 157 points. No, I'm, <laughs> I think the Swans by 28 for me. Um, Callum Mills will win the Norm Smith and Jake Lloyd will kick the, the first goal of the game. Um, and at least one of us or two of us will be right. <laughs> Do you stand by Chad Warner being the most dynamic player of the AFL finals? Well, he could be yet, Ben. Um, yeah. He's definitely not the most dynamic bloke of the AFL finals, but that's for Hugo to decide. So we'll leave that one there. All right. With a last second drive-by for Chad, hopefully he tuned out right towards the end, as, as a few listeners tend to do, because my, <laughs> my uh, sign-offs aren't that good. We'll have a crack. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, boys. A daytime edition of the Old Sport Podcast. Not that that means much to you as it hits your ears, but hope you've sensed a, a bit of, a lively atmosphere from the, the crew and obviously right up and about big week in sport, huge grand final on Saturday and a, a lot more to cover next week. And we'll be right there to wrap it all up and, and give you some more goodies to listen to. <laughs> Thanks boys.